This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, March 24th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. This is KUAF 91.3 FM, your public radio station for 37 years. Ahead today on our show, we conclude our series about black Arkansans and suicide. Jonathan Reeves from our partner station KASU in Jonesboro has that report. And Roby Brock from our partner at Talk Business and Politics talks with Ray Hanley, the CEO of the Arkansas Foundation for Medical Care. But let's begin on a farm. Cobblestone Farms is regenerating in West Fayetteville after going dormant during the pandemic. This season, growing food for market and to donate to hunger relief. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us there. This warm, windy spring afternoon, Calton Hayes, Cobblestone Farms Executive Director, shows us the lay of the land, accompanied by Dot, a blue healer. So Cobblestone Farms was originally formed under another organization, the Cobblestone Project, back in 2008. The Cobblestone Project's a mission of New Life Church in Fayetteville. The church has donated 20 acres of land adjacent to the farm northeast of Weddington Drive and 54th Avenue for an affordable mixed-use housing development approved late last year by the Fayetteville Planning Commission. So the land we're standing on belongs to New Heights Church, which is a uh, a non-denominational church, a Christian church here in northwest Arkansas. They've been around for about 25 years. Uh, What's unique about them is they've met in the uh, Fayetteville Boys and Girls Club for almost the last 20 years, uh, while owning 45 prime real estate acres uh, off of Weddington. Um, The reason they have stayed there is because they believed that this land was meant for something else. Referring to the nonprofit farm and affordable housing development. The name of the community is Cobblestone Farm Community. Instead of having a gym, a golf course, or a whatever, a swimming pool, whatever other amenity, there's a farm on site. It's a very new, progressive concept. He says New Life Church first established the farm in 2011 to sustainably grow produce and livestock to market and to donate to hunger relief. So we're a 25-acre farm. Uh, we, we raise produce and livestock. The type of uh, vegetable farming we do can be called a diverse specialty crop or market gardening, small scale. We grow everything from arugula to zucchini. Um, it just depends on the, the season it is. Uh, we, we have uh, about two acres available to us to cultivate on the farm. We've only got about a one acre of it under cultivation. We're, we're scaling back up after organization restarted in 2020. A very slow restart due to the global COVID-19 pandemic, but this season, the farm is once again taking root inside a large greenhouse, several hoop houses, and on freshly tilled farm fields. So Cobblestone, we're, we're a nonprofit, and just like any other nonprofit, a, the vast majority of our uh, revenue uh, income is charitable. Uh, so we do have some sales that we do. Um, part of our mission is to, con- is to grow the local food system, and we believe we can do that by injecting more locally grown produce and meat into the system. We never want to compete with local family farms. We want to grow a market. Um, continue to grow the market so that they have more ready access. If it ever came down to somebody buying something from us in a local farm, buy it from them, we'll donate ours, and I'll go raise money. Hayes and produce manager Ellen Gray this spring hired several seasonal gardeners, Jackson Cox, Hannah McNabb, and Hannah Fulweiler. Cobblestone Farms will also establish an apprenticeship program for next-generation farmers. Hayes takes us into a fragrant greenhouse filled with vegetable seedlings, so we're currently standing in our uh, greenhouse. We, we refer to it as our propagation house. We're starting, we have everything from uh, 
bok choy in here. We just transplanted, or we just moved out some uh, uh, radishes this morning. Um, there's some cilantro over there. Um, we got tomatoes uh, started down here. The tomato starts will be transferred into several high-tunnel hoop houses covered in clear polytarps that can be lifted as the weather warms or tied down as the weather cools. We have more tomatoes than we know what to do with, which is a great problem to have when you're in you know, hunger relief uh, line of work. So it's, it's so wonderful to be able to uh, load up the NWA food bank uh, truck or uh, seize it feed um, transport vehicle and know that you know, this food is not being reserved for a certain class of people, unfortunately. Um, locally grown, sustainably or regeneratively grown foods typically are more expensive um, because they're produced at a small scale and can be um, uh, cost prohibitive uh, to some community members. So the opportunity to provide all community members with access to this kind of food is, is really important to us. To the east are cultivated farm field plots ready for transplanting starts one section filled with lush green winter garlic. So we have, I think, 50 of our, our rows are out here. Um, we hope to break ground on probably another, another 40 or 50 so here in the next year or two. Um, but we are a, a no-till garden. We, we, don't, we don't disturb our soil um, beyond what we need to. Um, we, we obviously, we don't, we don't spray any type of pesticides. We're really dedicated to keeping our soil covered with, uh, we bring in tens, 100,000 pounds of compost a year. Um, definitely in our first year, we brought over, uh, over 100,000 pounds of compost in. Hayes says over half of this season's harvest will be donated. Uh, to hunger relief in the area, because we want all community members to have access to fresh, local, nutritionally dense foods. We partner primarily with the NWA Food Bank. Um, they are the primary recipients of our donations. But we also partner with Seeds That Feed and uh, a special project with Fayetteville Public Library. Uh, for instance, um, as far as meats go, um, uh, Kent Eikenberry, the president of the NWA Food, ba Food Bank, and I drove down to our meat pro USDA meat processor last week to pick up about 4,000 pounds of pork. Um, which we dropped off there at the food bank. Um, but they're storing half for us for our own uh, sales program, but um, they, uh, we've donated the other half. On an adjacent fenced field, a herd of sheep lounge in the warm sun. We raise Katahdin hair sheep. Uh, all of these are ewes or, or female sheep. This is our breeding stock. We're hoping to, to build up a flock of 20 to 30 mamas so we can produce uh, lambs here on the farm. We've got our livestock guardian dogs in here. Uh, they are the bouncers of the, uh, the sheep flock. Mitch, a giant Great Pyrenees puppy, gnaws on Naji, the farm's seasoned herd dog, both eyeing the sheep as they play. Cobblestone Farms also raises pasture pork, as you heard, and soon poultry. Volunteers will be invited to labor on the farm, Hayes says, while learning gardening skills. Yeah, so we're rebuilding our volunteer program. Um, uh, this being really only our second year back in production. We like to say, even though we re-begun in 2020, uh, 2020 was a pause, 2021 was a reset, and 2022 is a relaunch for us. So we, we have uh, relatively few opportun um, opportunities right now. Uh, our volunteering opportunities will probably start up in April, um, where we have slots on Mondays and Wednesdays where community members can come out and serve in the garden and around the farm with us uh, on the mornings. Cobblestone Farms has applied for an AmeriCorps National Civilian Community Corps grant to secure volunteers to work on the farm this summer, approval pending, as well as at NWA Food Bank Apple Seeds and Samaritan Center. 
On April 7th, Cobblestone Farms is participating in NWA Gives, encouraging community members wishing to support their mission to contribute. Learn more about NWA Gives on their website and cobblestonefarms.org. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Livestock and Poultry Commission is implementing emergency rules in an effort to keep highly pathogenic avian influenza away. HPAI cases are mounting in surrounding states. The emergency rules in effect through July 20th include a prohibition on exhibiting poultry and domestic waterfowl, restrictions on moving poultry or waterfowl from or within an affected area, and a ban on selling, trading, bartering, or even giving away poultry or domestic waterfowl at fairs, swap meets, auctions, flea markets, and similar events within a 25-mile radius surrounding a flock with a confirmed case of HPAI. The U.S. Department of Agriculture reports cases have been found in birds in at least 17 states. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. On the show today, we'll hear from Ray Hanley, who is the CEO of the Arkansas Foundation for Medical Care. The state of mental health in Arkansas is the topic. Also today, details about an expansion that will double the capacity at a Springdale manufacturing plant. And despite the region's hot housing market, a new report shows residential mortgage lending in northwest Arkansas continues to decline. Those stories and more are on the way next on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Ray Hanley is the CEO of the Arkansas Foundation for Medical Care. In a recent conversation with Roby Brock, he discussed the state of mental health in Arkansas. We have a real, real challenge, Roby. Uh, if, if you look at the, the stats, uh, something like 37% of Arkansans report uh, depression versus 31% nationally. About 5% uh, are, are thought to have serious mental illness. Uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression. Uh, And this is compounded by the lack of ability to get treatment. Um, You know, nationally, something like 80% of the psychiatrists and psychologists only work in urban areas. And that's certainly true in Arkansas. If you need mental illness treatment in um, Rural Arkansas, whether you're an adult or a child, it is hard to come by. You know, obviously, rural Americans have to travel further for everything, grocery schools, and certainly uh, health care. And we have a serious shortage of uh, 
mental health providers in, in this state, uh, particularly outside of uh, Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas. Uh, the pandemic presented some new challenges for mental health as well, um, additional isolation, separation from normal routines, some things that can compound uh, mental health issues. Did we see some things take an uptick during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. And when, uh, you know, kids are uh, homebound, separated from their friends and their routine, uh, the stress on, on families, on uh, caregivers, uh, Parents that, that need to work but have kids that can't be in school, uh, this has stressed uh, everybody and only added to the, to, to the challenge. Uh, the pandemic presented some opportunities, too. We saw some loosening of regulations that allowed for more telemedicine, more yes. um, video conferencing, particularly for mental health consultations. Uh, that helps with remote, uh, this remote health care problem that you're talking about, doesn't it? It does uh, because you know Arkansas is one of the states that uh, has a uh, telehealth um, parity law on the books. It says uh, insurance companies have to recognize telehealth just as they do in-person care. But at the same time, we've got challenges in rural areas. Uh, broadband is not where it needs to be yet. Uh, and then we have too many people that that won't get treatment, particularly in rural areas. There's a stigma attached to, to mental health. And, you know, and if you've ever lived in a small town, I mean, everybody knows everybody and everybody knows your business. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to be seen uh, going into the local mental health clinic, uh, you know, if there is one uh, sometimes. What do you see on the horizon for uh, potential changes to the state's approach to mental health? What do you what, what's in the conversation right now? What might we see policy wise uh, the next chance they get? Uh, much, much of it is about the workforce. You know, if you go back to uh, President Biden's State of the Union speech a couple of uh, you know, weeks ago, he talked about the need to increase mental health workforce, said a third of Americans lack access to mental health care. Uh, I suspect in Arkansas, it's closer to 50%. Uh, he said fewer than half of Americans with mental health issues receive treatment. Uh, it's that much or more in Arkansas. Um, we've got UAMS here in the Department of Psychiatry uh, that has to play a, a large role. You've got two medical schools, you know, new medical schools, Fort Smith, Jonesboro. You've got a new medical school coming online in Northwest Arkansas. These facilities have got to step up along with the lawmakers uh, to try to generate more of a workforce. And there has to be a way to incent some of these to work in, in, in rural areas. And, and they all can't just live in Little Rock and in, in Fayetteville and Jonesboro. Do we, I guess, um, let me think out, ask this question. What, what, what's a price tag for that? Has anybody kind of put some sort of dollar figure to what it would take to advance the state's capabilities in terms of mental health? No, uh, I don't, I haven't seen any budget. I think uh, Medicaid's been the dominant payer of mental health for, for, for many years. Uh, the mental health parity laws that are on the books are supposed to have helped that. But 65% of the people in Arkansas get their, what mental health care they get, they get from a primary care physician. And these family doctors, you know, they weren't trained to be psychiatrists or psychologists. They're not the best equipped to do the, the referrals to, to the insurance companies to document the need for 
for mental health care. And uh, I think third party payers have got to step up and put a dent in, in this budget. Um, but what it's going to cost, what's it going to cost if we don't do it? I mean, I think that's uh, perhaps the, the larger answer to this. Uh, the, the, the tragedy, if we don't find a way to address the shortage of mental health providers and, and the, the treatment that, that people need to function and earn a living, uh, probably is going to cost more than if we find a way to address this. And that is Ray Hanley, head of the Arkansas Foundation for Medical Care. There is more of that interview with Roby Brock available and you can watch the full conversation over on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, medical marijuana sales topped $21 million in Arkansas in February. That is according to a recent report from the State Department of Finance and Administration. The tax revenue from the state's 37 licensed medical marijuana dispensaries was $2.3 million last month about the same as in February 2021. Springdale manufacturer Moisture Shield is doubling its capacity, allowing the wood composite decking company to add a new product line and expand another. Moisture Shield is a division of outdoor living products manufacturer Old Castle APG. The company operates a 150,000 square foot plant in Springdale. The expansion is expected to be completed this summer. And mortgage originations in Northwest Arkansas in the last three months of 2021 were down more than 2% from the previous quarter and down by more than 12% from the end of 2020. Those numbers are from Adam Data Solutions. It's a national firm that tracks housing and foreclosure information. Caitlin Huddleston with AMC Mortgage in Rogers said it makes sense to see the market slowing down following a flurry of mortgage activity in 2020 and into 2021 due to various factors, including the pandemic. For all of those stories and more, be sure and follow along at nwabusinessjournal.com. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. Today we conclude our series of interviews about the increasing rate of suicides committed by black people in Arkansas. Already this week we've heard discussions about factors and challenges that face people of color when it comes to dealing with a mental health crisis. Now, information about how you can help a loved one to get the help they need. Jonathan Reeves with our partner station KASU talks with counselor Shaden Duncan with Mid-South Health Systems about warning signs that someone may be contemplating suicide and how you can help. Oftentimes I've heard, and it's, it's a, a major um, um, misinformation about suicide. And, and that is that if a person is con contemplating suicide, that they're not gonna tell you. Uh, we hear that all the time. If I'm thinking about suicide, I'm not gonna tell anybody, I'm just gonna do it. That can be the case, but that is not the truth necessarily. Um, there are people who have and entertain those types of thoughts who will say something about it. Um, and I think for the most part, the people who are having and entertain those types of thoughts are because they're in some type of pain, they're in some type of situation that they where they feel stuck. Um, and this is 
what they have determined at the time based upon the resources that they feel are available to them, right? Um, to be able to get relief, to be able to escape, to be able to get out of whatever is going on with them. They don't see another way out. So it's not necessarily, to, in, from my opinion, that these individuals want to die, is that they really want to find a place of relief. And this is what they've arrived at. So sometimes when people um, are entertaining those thoughts, obviously, you know, we we know about people, they're, you know, they're depressed, they're um, having feelings and thoughts of, you know, being hopeless and um, kind of stuck. They're sad. They may be crying. They may be withdrawn. They're not taking care of themselves. They may not be eating or they may be eating too much. They may not be sleeping or maybe sleeping more than, than normal. Um, but they also may have those thoughts or be making threats to harm themselves. Um, they may also, in addition to having made those threats, be seeking the means to carry out those threats. And that is a major thing we want to be looking for. Um, talking about dying or writing about dying, um, having feelings of worthlessness or lack of purpose, um, acting recklessly or in, engaging in risky behaviors. If they feel trapped, they may have increased um, use of alcohol or drugs. Um, they're not engaged in, you know, relationships with their family, with their friends, or even activities that they used to enjoy, that they normally would enjoy, that they're not um, finding enjoyment from them, or they may, may not even be engaging in those activities anymore. Um, or sometimes even with males or young boys that might come out, come out as rage. They're angry. Um, cause sometimes because of how we're norm normalized or how we socialized rather, um, we're taught boys don't cry. So what's your other option? Be mad. So, you know, you may see the anger, or you may see the rage show up there, um, or they may feel agitated. Um, but one of the signs that people often miss is that change in mood. So a person has been op operating or experiencing some of the things that we've observed the person experiencing some of the things that I just finished listing. And then all of a sudden it's like, things are good, they're fine. All of a sudden everything has changed. And sometimes people are thinking, oh, well, good, they got over, they got better. And that's not always the case. Sometimes that means, in a lot of cases, that means the person has finally come to terms with this decision that they've made to end their lives. Um, and so then they may start to give things away that are of value to them. They may start to make amends and relationships and kind of trying to wrap up their business because they know that, you know, they're about to end their lives. And so they're kind of tied to loose ends there. And those are the times that people really, really, really need the support. Um, also, there's another thing sometimes, is, you know, if a person has been hospitalized, um, like psychiatric hospitalizations for, you know, a suicide attempt or something like that, um, and might have been in the hospital sometimes. After those individuals get out of the hospital and they go back to their uh, home or to the community, wherever they are, um, they're oftentimes at increased risk of completing suicide. And those are the times where they really need that additional support and folks to be checking in with them. Shaden Duncan with Mid-South Health Systems talking with Jonathan Reeves from our partner station KASU in Jonesboro. There is a crisis line number. It's 800-356-3035. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is Ozarks at Large. Okay, Timothy, let's talk some live music for the next few days. Okay, uh, there's a lot happening in the next seven days. We're just going to hit the high points as usual. Yep. But you can always find a more complete list at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. Tonight, Georgia's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have one of my favorite local bands on stage, Honey Collective. 
Very good. They are joined on stage by Bootleg Royale. Tickets for that show tonight are $10. Gets underway at about 8.30 tonight. Again, that's at George's in downtown Fayetteville. We're off and running. Tomorrow night, George's in Fayetteville. Their happy hour show is going to feature Buddy shooting the Motivators. Uh, yeah, and I love Buddy. And, he was in our studios not too long ago. And he's a great guy, yep. great musician, great writer. On this happy hour show, they're going to be joined by none other than Earl Kate. I thought I saw that on Facebook. I thought yeah. Buddy had sh- shared that. Yeah, should be a pretty good show. Now, if you want to catch another show with Buddy, he's playing tonight from 7 to 10 p.m. at Moonbrock in Rogers with Mark McGee, who actually came in the studio with him whenever he came yep. in a few months ago. And they did a four-song EP together. They really, really play well together. That happy hour show tomorrow night at George's, $7 door, gets underway at 6 o'clock. Again, that's tomorrow night at George's in Fayetteville. The late show tomorrow night at George's is going to feature Rachel Ammons, great multi-instrumentalist mm-hmm. and singer, and Rochelle Bradshaw on Hip Motion. Shaking off the cold, the season's renewed. Life is ever-changing, each moment's new. Be open, be welcome to being consumed by nature's blue. Tickets are $10 in advance. They go up to $12 at the door. That gets underway at about 9.15 tomorrow night at George's in Fayetteville. Still in Fayetteville tomorrow night, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have the band Jalopy on stage. They're kind of slightly funky rock and roll. Okay. Cover for that show tomorrow night at Smoke and Barrel is $5. That gets underway at about 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Smoke and Barrel Tavern in Fayetteville. Happening elsewhere tomorrow night, Springdale Black Apple Crossing is going to have Patty Steele on stage. Mm-hmm. Great local singer, songwriter, folk musician, plays a little bit of everything. She will also be at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Saturday evening at 7 o'clock. But her show tomorrow night at Black Apple on Emma Avenue, that gets underway at 6 o'clock. Up in Rogers tomorrow night, Levi's Gastro Lounge is going to have guitarist Aaron Detheridge on stage. If you're not familiar, she's a great local guitarist who's more in the vein of shred guitar. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at Levi's Gastro Lounge in Rogers. Going over to Eureka Springs, the Gravel Bar is going to have another one of my favorite kind of regional bands on stage, Sad Daddy. Oh, yeah! Oh, I don't care anymore if you don't want me back. In fact, maybe I don't want you back. Maybe I don't want you back anymore. If you haven't seen them, 
please take this opportunity because the chances to see them are few and far between these days. If I had the opportunity, I would be heading over to Eureka Springs tomorrow night to see them. They're really, really good. That show at the Gravel Bar tomorrow night gets underway at 7 o'clock. Again, that's in Eureka Springs. Another show tomorrow night in Eureka Springs that you should know about. The Auditorium is going to have the Marshall Tucker Band on stage. Yeah. Big. Is this an anniversary tour of some sort for It them? is. It's their 50th anniversary tour. Uh, they are joined by special guests, the Outlaws, in that show. Tickets start at $49, go up from there. Starts at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at the City Auditorium in Eureka Springs. Jumping ahead to Saturday night, one of your favorite artists is going to be at 612 Coffee House. Do tell. Ephraim White. Uh, who doesn't live here anymore. He no. lives in Nashville, but oh, yeah. Great. Eph- He's such a good songwriter. He's such a good songwriter. And a great guy. Great oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. Have you seen me lately? Where the hell did that kid go? Play the music that once started my song. Tune in on the FM. Back He's joined in that set with his frequent collaborator, Lauren Blaine. Mm-hmm. That's a free show. Gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday evening at 612 Coffee House in West Fayetteville. Happening at Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville Saturday night, they're going to have a hard rock show featuring Dirty Blue and The Salesman. Tickets for that show are $5. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening at Nomad's Trailside in Fayetteville. Up in Bentonville Saturday night, Meteor Guitar Gallery is going to have Alyssa Galvan on stage for what they are billing as the Amy Winehouse Experience. So, yeah. Yeah. Tickets for that are $20 in advance. They go up to $25 Saturday. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Going over to Eureka Springs Saturday evening, Gotta Hold Brewing is going to have State House Electric on stage. Great guys who we've had in the studio before. That show gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Then down in Fort Smith Saturday night, Majestic is going to have contemporary country artist Chris Colston on stage. Tickets are $12 in advance. They go up to $15 on Saturday. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock again Saturday night at Majestic in Fort Smith. Moving ahead to Sunday, Georgia's in Fayetteville is going to have Bones of the Earth on stage. It's an album release show for them. Okay. Tickets are $10. That gets underway at 7 o'clock Sunday night. Again, that's at Georgia's in downtown Fayetteville. Another Georgia's show happening Monday night. Uh, hip-hop artist Ty Virtus is on stage. If it was my last day on earth, if it was my last day, if I close my eyes, 
He is on what he's calling his HD TV tour. Okay. Tickets for that show start at $20. They'll get underway at 8.30 Monday evening again at George's in Fayetteville. And then Tuesday, Tuesday, 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville is going to have local singer-songwriter Rowan Lee on stage. Long hair, soft it falls The angel's wings touch both of the walls Love makes poets of us all But for her, I'm just a fool For her, I'm just a fool It gets underway at 7 o'clock Tuesday evening again at 612 Coffee House in West Fayetteville And that should take care of us for the next few days Thank you, Timothy Thank you Hi, this is Lori from Springdale, Arkansas, and um, I just basically like getting the truth in the news and professionalism. It's easy. I can just ask Alexa, play KUAF, and it's so easy to get all the news that I want. Thank you. The Children's Safety Center of Washington County is looking for a few pickleball players. A round-robin pickleball charity event to benefit the Children's Safety Center takes place Saturday, April 16th, but registration closes tomorrow. The games will be played at the Springdale Recreation Center, so indoor courts. Your partner for the matches will be, who knows, partners will be randomly assigned. Each player is guaranteed five matches. Registration cost is $40, and you can find out more at childrenssafetycenter.org. There was a boy A very strange enchanted boy They say he wandered very far, very far Over land and sea A little shy And sad of eyes But very wise Was he This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Nature Boy, a song by Eren Abez, written in 1947 and recorded by the American jazz singer Nat King Cole. I encountered this song recently while watching the Netflix documentary The Andy Warhol Diaries, a beautiful window to Warhol's life and work. This song is featured in the intro to each episode. And then one day, a magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn 
just to love and be loved in return. That was Nat King Cole interpreting Irene Abbe's Nature Boy, a song described by author and musicologist Raymond Knapp as a mystically charged vagabond song. The lyrics evoke an intense sense of loss and haplessness, with the final line delivering a universal truth described by Knapp as indestructible and salvaged somehow from the perilous journey of life. The final line reads, The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Nature Boy is perfectly featured in the Netflix documentary The Andy Warhol Diaries soundtrack. Warhol has been part of our lives in many ways. Years ago, I used one of his images from the 1987 series Prince of Beethoven to entice a group of music appreciation students to like Beethoven's music. In those screen prints, Warhol uses as a source Beethoven's 1820 portrait by Joseph Carr Stiele and modifies it by adding bright and dramatic colors, a black background, and the superimposition of the composer's Sonata Number no. 14, Moonlight Sonata Score. That piece is arguably his best-known piece of music. Warhol created the series shortly before his death when he began to choose subjects that weren't typically part of his previous style. Let us listen to the end of Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 14 in C-sharp minor, Quasi una Fantasia, Opus 27 No. 2, First Movement, also known as the Moonlight Sonata, interpreted by pianist Valentina Lisitsa. Thank you. 
That was an excerpt from Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 14 in C-sharp minor, Quasi Una Fantasia, Opus 27, No. 2, First Movement, also known as the Moonlight Sonata, interpreted by Valentina Lisitsa. A piece Andy Warhol used in his recreation of Beethoven's portrait for his 1985 series, Prince of Beethoven. Luckily for us, down the street at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, there are Andy Warhol pieces, including a portrait of American singer and songwriter, the iconic Dolly Parton. Andy Warhol was our inspiration today, and we close Sound Perimeter with Dolly Parton's Jolene, in a voice and string orchestra version, part of the soundtrack for the Netflix movie Dumpling. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. You could have your choice of men, but I could never love again. Cause he's the only one for me, Jolene. I had to have this talk with you. My happiness depends on you. Whatever you decide you'll do, Jolene. Jolene, Jolene. Jolene, Jolene, I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 please don't take him just because you can. Jolene. This is Ozarks at Large. Going to college is more than just sitting in the classroom. It's also a chance to get real-world experience. For Raquel Thompson and Amy Whiteside, it's a chance to also go to music venues and other duties as assigned for their work with Hill Records, a student-run record label at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore sat down with them and asked what it's like as a student to run a record label. We first hear from Amy, who says it's not just about putting out music. It's also um, focused a lot on educating um, the people that work for it. Um, so we're learning a lot about the music industry and um, all the different types of roles they have in there. Um, and I personally am the executive vice president of communications. So I answer the emails, deliver the good news, deliver the bad news, um, you know, make sure everybody's scheduled for the right times, knows where they're going, and like basically act as the go-between um, from us to the artists.
a secret you may not know about me, but my undergrad degree is in music business. So I came out of school. Uh, I graduated from college in 2012, which was right on the precipice of Spotify becoming a big deal. Uh, streaming was starting to become a thing, but it wasn't quite a thing. A lot has changed in the last 10 years, uh, especially when we look at the music industry. So in a music industry that is moving away from the need for record labels, I mean, anyone can make their own music in their own house. They can put it on Spotify. Why work for a music label now? Um, well, it's it's really more about learning about the ins and outs of the music industry. And I wouldn't say necessarily that record labels are completely dead. Um, it is kind of the saying that like artists can do it all of their, on their own. But honestly, like if you look at it in terms of what each task um, demands, it can get really overwhelming for an artist to do it all by themselves. So it's nice to have that team around you that cares about you and supports you and want to see you be successful in your career and also has the backing and the expertise to help you in certain aspects you might not know about. Um, so overall, it's really just about it's also like the like the soft skills, like community communication skills and learning how to like manage tasks and also learning how to like customer service and things like that. It's all included in all of that overall. Yeah, I definitely think that if I were an artist um, and I were trying to do all of the different roles that the people at Hill Records do, that would be super overwhelming for me. And that's also like what we've heard from some of our artists saying, you know, I'm like a one man show, like I do everything. I just need some help with promotion or help with booking gigs or anything like that. So we really like kind of provide the supplementary skills that allow people to just focus on making the music and, and doing that part of it. What made you want to work for Hill Records? I actually was in a communication class um, two semesters ago, um, and one of my professors uh, plugged the officer application um, because they were looking for a communications person and I was looking to get more involved in stuff. Um, I just like listening to music. I'm not uh, a musician myself so I thought it was a fun way to like connect those two things and get some like job experience, little resume building um, in an area that I thought that I would be good at and like that would be fun for me to do. Particularly with me, um, music is my entire existence. <laughs> um, I come from a very uh, musical family musical background. I'm a DJ, you know, so something that I specifically wanted to come to college for was music, not necessarily majoring in music, but finding ways to incorporate different aspects of business to music. Um, so anything that was music related on campus, I wanted to be a part of it. So when I saw Hill Records in my sophomore year, I was jumped on it immediately. I was super excited that something like this was happening. We're like one of 20 um, student-run record labels in the country. So I just wanted to be part of something that was so cool and like unique and like very groundbreaking, as well as informative and educational. So that's that's my reason. I think for some people, when they hear record label, they may think that what a record label does is they are the ones in the studio. They're the Dre sitting in front of the big console, and they're the ones telling the musicians what to do. That's not really what a record label does, or it's certainly not entirely what a record label does. Can you give some examples of what kind of work day in and day out that y'all do when it comes to being a record label? Like, what are some of the tasks? 
so far what we have done is number one we help them release music so anything that they want help on and like help um, booking and also um, like marketing and all that we definitely help them with that and um, we did have a showcase last semester and so that was another way to help them get their name out there um, and literally anything that they need help for whether it's booking whether it's social media management all of that stuff we're hands-on ready to go and help them in that process we also have Jake Herzog here who's the faculty advisor and a professor of music at the university uh, Jake as someone who has been making music for a while what how has your role and influence been uh, implemented here on the staff like what advisory role do you have for the students here we try to play a role where we can provide opportunity so the broader picture of this project for us is we look at the way the music industry has changed and we look at the the way that the role of record labels has changed and the demands on artists are so great as uh, as everybody has been saying and we say how can we how can we accomplish two things number one provide forums for music creators to learn about the way the music industry is now and where it's going and number two provide forums for students of all backgrounds and all majors to train in a very experiential way for what the music business is now and is going to be and what the entertainment business is and is going to be. So uh, our role is really to help curate situations where uh, we hope our students can be successful and engage with the artists and engage with these projects and also to provide them the resources and the training opportunities and the access to expertise that they need to be successful uh, and also to build their connections regionally locally. And in that sense, we view it also as ways that we can contribute to the homegrown music ecosystem in this area. For the two of you, what experiences are you learning from the record label that surprised you? <laughs> um, I would I would honestly say um, like juggling multiple tasks and being um, efficient. Like that's something that I didn't really expect uh, to come from it. Like we all end up helping each other and giving a hand in each other's roles. I mean, it's a very, very collaborative experience. I thought it was going to be like, okay, you do this and you do this and you do this. But it's a lot of we do this and she does that. And then we're also going to help her do that. So all of that en encompasses what we do on a daily basis. And it's actually like a really fun like little group. And it also has taught me a lot about um, just working with other people, not necessarily in the music business, but just in general, because, you know, I'll send people an email and they may not respond right away or they may respond and they didn't answer part of what I asked. So then I have to ask them again and just kind of like figuring out new ways to like communicate and match people's communication styles so that they understand what I'm trying to say. And we all like can work together in a way that benefits us all. What would you tell students who might be interested in getting involved on the label side of the the Hill Records? Basically, if you're if you're looking for a really fun experience and a cool experience and like a hands-on learning opportunity, I'd highly recommend joining Hill Records. Yeah, and I think that it is an awesome experience and also a great place to meet uh, new people, um, like the people that I have met at Hill Records, both the artists and the people that I've been working with are so much fun. We have a lot of fun together, both, 
in Hill Records business and outside. So, um, you know, just jump on it. If you see the officer application going out, get on it. That's awesome. Jake, what about you? I would say that uh, in terms of providing a realistic experience, I think we're doing a good job because the music industry is sort of unpredictable in that sense. Uh, and I would say that we hope to make this uh, a place uh, that produces future leaders in music and entertainment, especially locally. And I see all evidence uh, that makes me feel like that will definitely be the case. This is a tremendously exciting and fascinating time for folks in the music industry. And it's a time where there is more opportunity in more places than there has ever been for creators and for entrepreneurs and for businesses. Uh, and in higher education, I feel like we can really work towards supporting that and work towards supporting our music creators and what they want to do. And a project like Hill Records is really aimed at bridging that gap between what is going on in education, what is going on in the industry, and how can we train our students in a way that they are absolutely ready for whatever this industry is going to bring. That was Jake Herzog, a professor of music at the University of Arkansas and one of the faculty advisors for Hill Records, alongside Raquel Thompson and Amy Whiteside. In future editions of Ozarks at Large, we'll be hearing from Pat Ryan Key and Fox Paw, two artists signed to Hill Records. Walmart Amp welcomes An Evening with James Taylor and his all-star band, performing live on Friday, July 15th. Tickets go on sale this Friday morning, March 25th at 10 a.m. AmpTickets.com or 443-5600 for tickets and more information. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Centerton. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy produced today's show and today's sound perimeter. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, Paul Gatling, Roby Brock, Jonathan Reeves, and Leo Uribe. Another show tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. and always on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast. I should tell you that the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report, produced by Stephanie Brock. On our show tomorrow, Timothy sits down with Justin Peter Kinkle Schuster, who will also play a few songs. And Michael Tilley helps us review some of the week's news and more. From the Herald and Blanche Kalk News Studio, I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellums. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening.